Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, Zach Osh from here. I'm Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Monday, March 13th. Uh, it is the afternoon. It is a chilly afternoon in Bloomington. It was freezing rain earlier. Um, but I am inside now, and we are cutting uh, the first uh, post-selection show, selection show, Mind Your Banners. We thought about doing one of these last night, Tyler Tashman with me. Um, but quite frankly, the night just ran long between the men and the women. We'll talk a little bit about both the men and the women. Um, you know, how the obviously the men came out of the Big Ten tournament, how both of them shaped up on Selection Sunday and take just a, a quick look at the men's pod in particular. I think everyone expects the women to to be a firm favorite in their first weekend games. Um, but Tyler, let's let's start with how the men navigated the Big Ten tournament. A good win Friday night against Maryland. Um, I think a, a win that, you know, Maryland beat Indiana earlier in the season in a game that felt like it was defined a little bit by the atmosphere and Jalen Hutchefino's shooting. Um, but I think you, that showed you, you know, pretty clearly Indiana's a better team than Maryland. Struggled more against Penn State on the Saturday. We talked, I know we both wrote about how Penn State's a tough matchup for this team. Um, not a lot of teams will do what Penn State will try to do in terms of the way they spread the floor and the way they attack you off the dribble. And obviously not a lot of teams have Jalen Pickett. I would say a good weekend at the Big Ten tournament for Indiana, one that clearly firmed up their position as a four seed, probably one they will have hoped lasted a little bit longer than it did, though. Is that I think that's fair. Yeah, I think there was just there was some good, there was some bad. Um, but you know, overall, I think you can come out of it without too many concerns. I don't think it's necessarily a terrible thing that Indiana got an extra day of rest and now with them playing on Friday, um, you know, they get another day of rest of not playing on Thursday. But, um, I mean, just looking at what Indiana has initially in the NCAA tournament, the the path that they have in in what could potentially be the first two games, um, the matchups aren't too concerning to me in the sense that when I looked at what Penn State has done against Indiana in 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 the regular season in the Big Ten tournament, what Iowa did against Indiana in the regular season was that when you have these teams that can shoot high volume, that can spread you out, um, those are the types of teams that I was looking at of like, if Indiana gets caught in one of those matchups early on, like that could be a ton of trouble. And this isn't saying anything bad about Kent State, because I think Kent State is a really good team. Um, they played Houston close this season. They played Gonzaga close this season. They played College of Charleston close this season all really good teams, all teams are in the NCAA tournament. Um, but they don't look like they have that that spread it out kind of Penn State, Iowa ability to where they're just going to be bombing away three. So um, at first glance, at least, um, the biggest kind of concern for me out of the Big Ten tournament was, well, how will I even fare if they have to run into one of those matchups in the first round or the second round? And, um, you know, at first glance, it doesn't seem like IU will have to kind of deal with that total matchup issue. 
Let's talk about the matchups briefly, and then I do want to talk about just kind of where the men and the women landed in particular, because it seems like there is a little bit of controversy maybe around the women's seating. Um, the men, I don't think anybody was surprised to see them on the four line. They were the top four seed when the committee did its early bracket reveal February 18th. They added two quad one wins, both of them away from home in the time between then and Selection Sunday. Had a couple quad two losses. Obviously, that that Penn State, uh, that Penn State loss on Saturday actually wound up being a quad two law or quad one loss because of Penn State's improvement in the net. Um, broadly speaking, you just kind of, you know, Indiana probably didn't do enough to sort of vault its position the way like a, a Xavier did. And we can have a separate conversation about Xavier. I don't really want to in this podcast, but, um, but they certainly did enough to hold steady. They're the highest ranked team in the net in their pod. Um, they've got Miami's the five seed, Drake's the 12. As you said, Kent State is the 13. And if you look at these teams, uh, well, you're right. I mean, listen, any team that's in the NCAA tournament is going to be a tough team just about. Um, if you look at just the the, the profile of these teams, um, Kent State has some commendable losses. They only lost by two at Charleston. All of this is back in the non-conference by five in an, a grinder of a game at Houston and by seven, uh, 73 to 66 at Gonzaga. On the other hand, they're, you know, they're only sort of top Ken Palm top 100 wins um, came in conference play. They did also beat Northern Kentucky, a team that's in the NCAA tournament by virtue of winning the Horizon League um, as a 16 seed, but they did beat them on the road to begin the season. Kent State is a very good defensive team. They force a lot of turnovers. Um, they, they rebound the ball well offensively and, and they will, they will, they will stress your ability to close out defensive possessions. They lean heavily on Sincere Carey, um, who takes almost 27% of their shots while he's on the floor. I think to, to your point, um, they are a very good three-point defensive team, but not a great three-point offensive team. And while they're good against twos, they are not necessarily elite in any way against the two-pointer, which of course matters for Indiana, a team that skins, tends to skew toward twos. A lot of the time, Miami is the best offensive team by some distance in the pod. Um, they've got the ACC player of the year. I say Wong. They got four players that average in double figures. On the other hand, they are probably the worst defensive team in the pod. They're 132nd in um, uh, adjusted efficiency nationally, according to Ken Palm. They were OK. They were fifth in the conference, but still allowed 1.04 points per possession in conference play. Um, they probably foul too much. They are week around the rim and you look at their numbers they gave up 88 in a loss in november to maryland they gave up 105 in a home win against cornell in december they lost at georgia tech gave up 76 in that game they lost at nc state gave up 81 in that game um they lost to florida state in just a couple weeks ago and lost gave up 85 at home they even gave up 85 at home and a win over louisville which is maybe the worst high major team in the ken Palm era so they struggled uh, defensively, and Norchad Amir, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, their best rebounder, also injured his ankle in the ACC tournament and may not be available for this weekend. And then you got a Drake team that I think is just kind of, you know, just sort of that solid Missouri Valley team that we sort of come to expect to come out of that conference. This is going to be their third straight year finishing in the uh, the top 100 in Ken Palm. They won 25 games a year ago, 26 the year before that. They've already won 27 this year. They have the MVC player of the year in Tucker DeVries. Um, they do not give up like basically cheap possessions. They're top 30 in the country in turnover rate. They're top three in the country in opponent offensive rebounding rate. They do not give you free possessions at all, which I think is going to make that 
that matchup potentially tough for Iowa, or excuse me, not for Iowa, for Miami. Um, there's not, as you said, and this is, forgive me, this is a long-winded way of saying, there is not a, a team in this pod that you would look at and say, boy, if Indiana gets them, I just don't know how they win that game. I think any of these teams could beat Indiana because that's what, you know, when you're in the NCAA tournament and when you're basically lower than about a two, maybe a three seed, there's always going to be teams that are tough. Kent State won 28 games already this year. Drake's won 27. Miami was Big Ten, or excuse me, ACC regular season co-champion. Um, but when you look at the matchups, you don't see a, a Kansas. You don't even see like an Iowa or a Penn State. You don't see a team that you think, boy, what they're going to do is so weird that I'm just not sure unless Indiana gets kind of an outlier result somewhere in its own kind of its own performance, uh, how Indiana is going to handle that. And I, I know I'm kind of we're zigging, zigzagging around a little bit, but um, one of the positives I took out of the Big Ten tournament was Tamar Bates and Malik Renew off the bench. Those are two guys that haven't had the season I think a lot of people expected or hoped for. Um, you know, both were really highly touted recruits. This is obviously Tamar Bates' second season in college. This is Malik Renew's first, but um, guys that have the physical tools, guys that um, have the, the the ability to be have have a high ceiling, have a really high potential. Um, but they they have had up and down seasons. But um, I feel like they it seemed like you know they played much closer to what IU needs them to be. I don't think they're the players that people expected them to be this season. But um, Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hood Shafino are have uh, most of the season carried this team. But if Indiana wants to make a run in the NCAA tournament, if they want to be a dark horse, elite eight, final four team, whatever, they're going to need some help around them. And those are two guys that I think whose ceiling is, is really high and they still can continue to climb from where they are, they are at right now. And I think, they both played really strong minutes against uh, Maryland. I think they both were a really big part um, of what Indiana did in that win. Um, I thought they both played well against Penn State. So to me, that was a positive coming out. If, if those two guys coming off the bench um, can continue that kind of raising their play and give Indiana a lift um, off the bench in the NCAA tournament, to me, I think – that may have been one of the biggest positives coming out of the Big Ten tournament, that if those guys, those two guys specifically, can continue to raise their play, can maybe give Trace Jackson Davis a little bit of a break if he needs it. Um, because Indiana, and, and Tamar Bates speaking to this also, is that because Indiana's uh, backcourt is so thin now that we know that Xavier Johnson is not coming back this season, Indiana basically has three rotation guards. Um and if Tamar Bates can really solidify himself as a contributor behind Jalen Hutchifino and Trey Galloway, that's meaningful. So um, to me, the, the, the play of those two guys in the Big Ten tournament was um, something of note. Um, we do also have to mention, I recognize this dates you, uh, it predates you, it certainly dates me. Um, Rob Senderoff, Kent State's head coach, was an assistant at Indiana. Uh, under Kevin Kelvin Sampson, he was the the primary assistant implicated in everything that happened around the more than sort of 100 um, 
uh, impermissible phone calls. Impermissible is a word we used a lot back then. Um, he was dismissed in the fall of 2007. He'd come with, with Samson when Samson was hired in 2006. He was dismissed in the fall of 2007. He was actually um, hired at Kent State as an, back at Kent State as an assistant when he was still under a show cause penalty um, and eventually rose to uh, the level of head coach at Kent State. He's won 247 games since becoming head coach in 2011. This is his second NCAA tournament appearance. It's Kent State's, um, I think, seventh postseason appearance of some kind under him. Um, for what it's worth, and you can find this story at IndyStar.com. It's it's old now, but if you if you dig back, basically if you Google Rob Senderoff, Indy Star, um, it should come up pretty quickly. He he was the only really central figure in that whole episode that was willing to talk to us, to talk to me when I wrote a story about the 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 sanctions that came out of all that expiring in 2013. He was very candid. He was very open. Um, he didn't shy away from it. Um, obviously, I think Indiana fans' ire is, is generally reserved more for Kelvin Sampson, who, of course, if the Hoosiers get through the first weekend, could be waiting there as the one seed in the Sweet 16 in Kansas City. But that's kind of a conversation for later on um, if Indiana is is still active, is still involved. Um, talking about Kent State briefly, I think I know you and I are both going to take a closer look at them kind of today and tonight. Um, a lot of what they do well is offensive or excuse me, defensive. They are um, a very good team in terms of forcing turnovers. Um, they are very good at holding opponents down behind the three-point line. They're 30th in the country in opponent three-point percentage. They're, they were first in, in MAC play in opponent three-point percentage. Um, the only, if you look at their overall numbers, the only offensive categories they're top 100 in are turnover rate, two-point field goal percentage, block rate, and steal rate. Um, of those, only steal rate is top 50. So again, you're talking about a team that's more about pressure and about forcing mistakes, which has been an issue for Indiana at times this year. Kent State's not a great rebounding team. Um, they're actually 261st nationally in opponent offensive rebound percentage. They will give you some free possessions. They're not a great three-point shooting team. Again, they are much better defending, statistically anyway, defending the three than they are the two, which is the sort of thing if you're Indiana you're curious about because if you look at if you look at um, – you know, they're, they're, they're kind of their lineup as well. They're typically going to start 5'10", 6'1", 6'3", 6'5", 6'8". You know, if, if you go back to, um, you know, who started for them in um, in the, the MAC championship game, they went 6'1", 6'3", 6'8", 6'5", 6'9". I believe I'm pronouncing his name right. Miran Thomas um, is probably the best three-point shooter, at least at, at volume. He took 176 of them this year. Yeah, he wasn't super accurate this year, 34.7%, but he shot 36.3% last year. And on a admittedly lower volume of attempts, he shot 44.6% the year after that. He's also six foot eight. So you just have to kind of be careful. He he's the kind of guy that maybe can be a bit of a matchup problem for Indiana. Um, but on the other hand, sincere carry is again, you know, he's he uses 26.1% of possessions. Um, you know, he's kind of got a, a running mate named Malik Jacobs, who's at just about the same, basically right at the same number. Neither guy's a prolific three-point shooter. They'll both draw some fouls. They're not crazy great at it. Um, but a lot of the offense tends to run, I think, through Kerry and Jacobs, who are 6'1 and 6'3. And, and that's, I think, another thing that's worth worth mentioning with regard to Indiana because Indiana has struggled with bigger guards this season. But when we've seen Indiana have the size advantage on backcourts, you're thinking about a Purdue. You're thinking about it's you know long stretches against Michigan. You're thinking about 
um, when Indiana's played even even a Rutgers where there's some length but not as much bulk, not as much size, um, Indiana's been able to manage those matchups better this year. I think there's also kind of the opposite side of that, of that Indiana has struggled against Northwestern with a guy like Boo Booey, um, has struggled against Penn State. And I think, to me, one of the bigger concerns um, in the NCAA tournament is, is, like I mentioned a little bit before, is basically just Indiana's um, backcourt depth. Obviously, now we know Xavier Johnson isn't coming back. Um, Trey Galloway and Jalen Hood-Shafino have, have been really, I think, really good this season. Jalen Hood-Shafino has been, I mean, he was, he was Big Ten Freshman of the Year. Um, Cherry Galloway has taken a significant step up in his third uh, season at IU. Um, and then and then Tamar Bates behind him has been up and down. But basically at this point, Mike Woodson has held strong to three playing three, those three guys in some sort of combination, whether that be two of them out there, um, two of the three. But you go far in March, and I know it's kind of a cliche, but you got you have to have good guard play. And whether Indiana has good enough guard play, I think they have good guard play. I don't, I don't, I'm just, I'm a little hesitant to say if it's going to be good enough. Um, Trey Galloway struggled in the Big Ten tournament, as good you know has been, and he's been really good. You see what he did against or on the road against Purdue, what he did uh, recently against Maryland in the Big Ten tournament, but. Um, he also has had off games, and that's not a knock on him because he's human. He's still a freshman. But if he has an off game, will Indiana have enough firepower with Trey Galloway and Tamar Bates in terms of guard play? Um, if, if if one of them gets in foul trouble, as we saw Trey Galloway um, ha- has dealt with foul trouble, does Indiana can Tamar Bates slide in and, and do enough offensively and defensively to um, disrupt the opposition. Um, and looking now briefly at Kent State, from from what I see, this looks – it reminds me of sort of a Big Ten team in the way that they kind of muck things up. It's not necessarily going to be maybe the prettiest basketball um, against Houston. They lost 49-44. to 44. Uh, Houston shot 32% from the field. Kent State shot 23.8. So that reminds me of sort of like a Rutgers, like a a rock fight, um, gritty. um, And Indiana has won some of those games this season. They've also lost some of those games. So um, Kent State is 199th in opponent average possession length, and they were 11th in MAC play. So, I mean, they, to your point, they make opponents grind for. Yeah, so it, I mean, it, it reminds me of sort of what a, a Big Ten clash could look like, just in terms of it might not be pretty basketball. Um, it, there may not be a ton of shots made, and it's just going to come down to who can kind of out who can outlast the other one and and maybe make the least amount of mistakes. So, if you were looking to get away from Big Ten basketball, um, I don't I don't know how much of a different style this game is going to be against Kent State, but um that's my initial impression in terms of in this might be the next test of basically indiana's toughness how much did the big 10 um prepare them for a matchup that is going to in all likelihood require a lot of toughness talking about i guess just the, the the broader question of indiana's draw um 
And then I want to talk about the the, the women a little bit too, because they've absolutely earned it here. Um, Indiana was the third four seed. They actually were ahead of Virginia on the seed list. Virginia got the the fourth uh, the fourth seed in the South, which is I think where a lot of Indiana fans hoped Indiana might wind up. It, which would mean that if they could get to the second weekend, they would be playing Alabama and Louisville. Um, Alabama was the number one overall seed. Alabama drew, I think, the third two seed and the top three seed. So my guess is the committee moved Virginia into that bracket for competitive balance purposes. They try to protect geographic location as best they can. And the first weekend was was never going to be easy for IU fans geographically anyway. Um, but the, they try to protect geographic sort of set up as best they can, but they also don't want to wind up in a situation where, you know, the top one seed has, you know, maybe too many good two, three, four seeds in its, in its pod or its bracket. It's, it's, it's corner of the bracket. And so I think that's why Virginia, which was the last four seed wound up in Louisville. Um, But I think it's hard to argue kind of in any other direction with, with how Indiana, you know, wound up where it wound up staying a four, you know, good road wins, didn't really do anything on a neutral court, I guess, but they only played two neutral court games all season. The only loss that they suffered all year to a team that didn't make the NCAA tournament was Rutgers, and Rutgers was one of the first four teams out. Every other team that beat Indiana this year was an NCAA tournament team. I want to say 18 or 19 of their 33 games this season were played against NCAA tournament teams, and if you expand that to include the NIT, that number shoots up exponentially because that obviously includes Michigan, it includes Rutgers, and I think we can say for all intents and purposes, even though they turned down the opportunity to play in the NIT, it includes North Carolina. Um, it, it's just kind of hard to – it's hard to argue with sort of where Indiana wound up. And I know people say, well, Indiana's only got 22 wins. Why are they ahead of a Duke? Why are they ahead of a Miami? Some of these teams out of the ACC. I think it's clear that, A, the committee rewarded Indiana for what it did in the non-conference. B, the committee rewarded Indiana for how good it was on the road – the Xavier win, the Michigan win, the Purdue win, the Illinois win. And C, this was also, I think, a clear endorsement of what the committee thought of the Big Ten. I think nine, if I'm not mistaken, nine Big Ten teams got in, maybe eight. Um, and, and you know, Indiana was the second highest seeded behind, obviously, Purdue. I think this was an endorsement of even if maybe the, the high-level quality in the Big Ten wasn't there, and you see a lot of Big Ten teams, six, seven, eight, nine, ten seed range, the respect for the depth of the league and the toughness of the league was there on Selection Sunday. I think, you know, if going into the, the NCAA tournament for Indiana, if, if you're looking for one of the reasons to be positive in, in my eyes is that Indiana has Trace Jackson Davis. It has one of the best players in the country. Um, and he has, I mean, he's just been dominant this season. So Indiana can try to ride him as much as they can, and it's going to take more than just him. But there have been times this season where we have basically just seen him take over a game and and basically say, like, we're not losing this game. If you look at what he did at Illinois, um, and then even on the road against Purdue, when he didn't have the – when he didn't score, you know, necessarily for his standards at a high volume, he impacted the game um, with the way that – he can share the ball and the the attention he demands. And I think that basically the the formula for Indiana's offense needs to be run through him. It needs to get, I don't think this is a, you know, this isn't a state secret, but 
they need to get – I don't see an excuse for why he shouldn't touch the ball on, any, on every offensive possession. The ball ended the post. If he's single teamed, he should just eat. If he's double teamed, I think you need to look for an outside shooter, a cutter. We've seen them do the buddy ball with uh, him and Race Thompson. But I don't think that Indiana can afford to go home knowing that it didn't get the ball to Trace Jackson Davis enough. I think you need to get him the ball as much as humanly possible. I think you need to run things through him. You need to let him work. These are the moments that he came back for. You know, in his fourth season, he's done historic things, but he also has those goals, those team goals. So I think that if you're Indiana, you can't you can't lose knowing that you didn't give him enough of a chance. I think that if you know you it has to sort of live and possibly die by him because he is one of the best players in the country. Um He's done so much this season, so much in his career. He's held so many expectations and pressures on his shoulders that, like, you just have to – you just got to – you just got to get him the rock. The women get a one seed. I don't think anyone's surprised by that. I, I'm, I'm a bit bemused by the controversy around um, Iowa not getting a one because they won their conference tournament when Indiana and Stanford both lost, I think, in the – the um, the uh, if I'm not mistaken, the the conference semifinals at Stanford also fell out in the conference semifinals. I think um, Indiana. I mean, if you, if you look at just kind of their their record against ranked teams, if you look at their record versus like I mean, net top 100, Indiana was eight and three or 18 and three compared to Iowa's 18 and six against net top 50. IU was 14 and three to Iowa's 12 and five. I know the Caitlin Clark factor will always be a piece of it, and I'm not saying that the sport shouldn't encourage that any sport shouldn't encourage us to you know, to really sort of, um, you know, to, to, to emphasize great players. Um, but I think that you saw Indiana not just giving the one seed and, of course, hosting this weekend in Bloomington, but also staying in Greenville, not having to go to Seattle. You know, Terry Moore, and she didn't mean any offense, but she she was pretty honest on Sunday night. She was like, Seattle's a long way away. Greenville's a lot closer. Um, two of the four regionals this year, um, the Sweet 16s and Elite 8s, will be in Greenville for people who don't know, and the other two will be out in Seattle for, on the, in the women's bracket. Um you know, I think this is – we talked a lot about what Indiana achieved this year, but I think there's also something to be said for the extent to which Indiana went out of its way to behave like a big program. They played at Tennessee. They played at um, – or they, they hosted, excuse me, North Carolina. They, they found themselves – I know it's a bit controversial in the end, but they found themselves a, uh, a non-conference tournament that pitted them against other high major opponents. Um and then if you look at what they did in the conference, they swept Ohio State, they swept Michigan, they swept Illinois. Um, you know, they 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 went one and one against Iowa, but Iowa needed kind of a falling away buzzer beater to beat them at home in a game after Indiana had already clinched the outright Big Ten championship. Um, you know, this is a team that has been, I know you've seen them in person even more than I have, but this is a group that has been dominant pretty much all year. And when you you know when we remember when we remind ourselves that selection sunday is about more than just what happens from you know the 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 thursday to the sunday of conference championship weekend and is much more about the regular season plus the conference championship just the entire body of work it's very hard to argue this team as anything other than a one seed and you mentioned just how indiana has basically carried itself like a uh 
like a dominant program. Um, I think Terry Moran last night said something to the effect of like, we will never arrive. And by that, I think she means they have to continue to play with the chip on their shoulder. Like they have, like they haven't done what they've done because they've gotten to this point basically by being an underdog. And I think keeping that same mentality, despite the fact that there are one seed um, continuing to try to prove people wrong. Um, I think that it, that's important. Um, looking at just like the draw, Indiana is on the opposite side of the bracket as all of these teams, South Carolina, Maryland, Stanford, Iowa, and Duke. So they wouldn't have they wouldn't have to see any of those teams until the national championship. Um, from a draw standpoint, to me, that seems encouraging that they they won't have to run through one of those uh, to get to the Final Four to get to the national championship game. Um, UConn is on their side. They would potentially have to play them in the Final Four, and I know this is looking far ahead, but. Um, I think there was a little bit based on what happened and it was a little jarring to me, uh, based on what happened in the big 10 tournament with Indiana, that for a team that had looked so dominant during the regular season, only losing two games in the regular season to see them come out and struggle against Michigan state to trail in that game and have to fight their way back and win. Then to see them blow, blow that lead against Ohio state. Um, it was a little concerning. I, you know, obviously, Indiana is still a really good team. Obviously, I think they still have the potential to get to, na- to the national championship game, to win a national championship. But to me, it put a little bit more drops of concern about this team because they really they really do rely on their starting five. Um, you have Sk- Sarah Scalia coming off the bench, Lily Meister coming off the bench. Sarah Scalia played well, well during the Big Ten tournament. She's kind of been up and down this season a little bit. Lily Meister's a freshman. She's provided really good minutes, but I don't know how much you can ask of her if she is thrown into a really difficult situation where she has to put up um, high-volume numbers. So Indiana is really reliant on that starting five. And if if they get in foul trouble, if they have injury issues, if um, – they have to deal with fatigue. I I think that concerns me a little bit. And like I said, because of what in because of the Big Ten tournament, I don't think it changes what Indiana's ceiling in I ceiling is. But it does. It was for the first time in my eyes struggling. Them seeing them struggle for an extended period of time, and this is the time when you're supposed to be playing your best basketball of the season. Um, I think this break was really beneficial for Indiana. I think that they'll get through these first two games fairly easily. I would be surprised if they don't. Um, but it feels like to me, after the Big Ten tournament, um, after being so dominant during the regular season, they still they it feels like they need to use these games to look like the Indiana that they did before the Big Ten tournament. No, I think it's fair. I mean, the Michigan State game I think would be less concerning um, than the Ohio State game just because of of how good Indiana looked in the first half of that game, how much Indiana looked like itself, and then how, you know, kind of how just comprehensively it got away from them. And then, of course, the, there has been, you know, kind of these these vague sort of references from Terry Moore into the idea that her team's a little bit beat up and that they, you know, they, you know, the week off was good for them. She said last night when we talked to her, that I think she, I think the the word she used to kind of describe their workouts 
were short and intense. The idea being that when, when they were working, she wanted to really test their focus and their intensity, but she, she you know, she didn't want to run, you know, two, three hour practices um, that, that would, you know, kind of leave, you know, would, would, would wear players down unnecessarily. I think in particular, a lot of people are asking about Mackenzie Holmes. Um, there have definitely been some, some sort of inferences to the idea that Holmes is, is, has been banged up, which is, not surprising. You live, you know, you live your life in the post in the Big Ten. You play as many minutes as you talked about as she does. Um, you're going to have some bumps and bruises along the way. But I think after last year and the way she had to play through an injury and clearly was not herself by the end of last season, certainly compared to what she's the level she's gone to this year, I think fans are understandably a little bit concerned. I think you're right about the break. I also think, too, and I don't know how much difference there would have been being a, a one seed versus a two seed. Um, but I, I think it is worth, you know, pointing out just these first two games, Indiana should deal with them pretty comfortably. Who, whoever, you know, kind of obviously you're getting a 16 seed in the first game, and whether you're getting the the eight or the nine um, in the second game, you're home. You are, you know, one of the top four seeds and, you know, certainly one of the top four or five teams in the country. Um, one of the top four seeds in the league, or excuse me, in the in the field. Um, you know, you're gonna get you're gonna get the winner of the playing game in your first game, you're gonna get Oklahoma State or Miami if you win that in your second game. You should be winning the these two games fairly comfortably. And you know, I think these two games will a little bit be about obviously seeing if Indiana can get through, but more than that, I would say just sort of where is Indiana? Do they look sharper? Do they look a little fitter? Do they have they have they saved? some of that energy and save their legs a little bit um, or, or, you know, are there some concerns that this team is just going to have to shoulder as it gets deeper and deeper into the tournament? But um, again, I was, I was bemused by the the sort of suggestion that Iowa should be ahead of Indiana. Um, but I think that that has just kind of become an in-season rivalry to be fair uh, that I think probably colors some of that. So um, the women are a one seed. The men are a four seed. The men begin play on Friday, late Friday, Friday night, 10, was it 9.55 p.m. local time in Albany, so Eastern time Friday night against number 13, Kent State. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the women, I think this game has now been set. The women will uh, begin play the next morning at 11.30 a.m. That game's on ESPN2 if you're watching at home. If you're going to try and – Get to that game, just, you know, uh, be prepared, make some coffee, because it's going to be a late Friday night for the men, and then a, a pre-noon tip the next morning for the women. Um, decent chance, I think, we see both of these teams in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Obviously, the, the women probably have an easier path there than the men do. Um, but, you know, hey, if you're an Indiana fan, I think this is this is pretty much all you can really ask for is to have two of the better teams in the, the the respective fields of 68 at this time of year. So he's Tyler Tashman. I'm Zach Osterman. We'll leave it there for now. We'll have another, I think we might get Galen Clavio back on here later this week just to talk about NCAA tournament selection a little bit, a little bit about Indiana, but a little bit just about kind of how the committee did. Um, Galen, of course, is, is, is big into bracketology. He's walked us through some of that before and just kind of take a look at kind of how the committee came to some of the decisions it came to and how it mapped out the field. But between now and then, for the Indianapolis Star, for Tyler Tashman, I'm Zach Osterman. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Mind Your Banners for Monday, March 13th, 2023. We will talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.